Hey, Blockheads, welcome back, and welcome first-timers. You know who you are, and you've got a lot of catching up to do. Go ahead. We'll wait. We're waiting. And we're back to the Writer's Block Podcast with me, J.R. Havlin. Tonight's episode brought to you by trampolines. Trampolines, because you don't care what the neighbors think. As you know, Writer's Block Podcast is all about the process of comedy writing, which, believe it or not, didn't start yesterday, and neither did my guest, a veteran, a true veteran, an OG, original gag writer. Mm, oh boy. Gene Parrot is on the block. That's parrot, like the bird, not paray, like a parrot's French hat. But I go back and forth on those pronunciations on the podcast, kind of because of the way he spells it, but mainly because I'm an idiot. Gene wrote for shows that literally had a direct influence on my sense of humor, and I was thrilled to have a chance to talk to him and to thank him personally for that. You're about to hear from a guy who not only wrote for All in the Family, The Carol Burnett Show, Laugh-In, Welcome Back, Cotter. He's got a great story about that show. But was also Bob Hope's head joke writer. And you can bet your ass you have to know how to write a joke to be Bob Hope's head joke writer. And we launch right into it. Actual behind-the-scenes stories about the great, the one and only Bob Hope. What other podcasts are you getting that from? I'll answer that. None. Okay? None podcasts. Gene and I talk a lot about his experience and the amazing shows he wrote for, and we dive into his new book, The Ten Commandments of Comedy, which is a great, quick read, particularly if you're starting out as a stand-up comic, but also for pretty much any comedy writer. Some of you may already know a lot of what's in Gene's book, but I assure you it's still an amazing refresher course in the basics, and who can't use that? I can. I did. I already have. I used it. Thanks, Gene. By the way, if it sounds kind of like the interview took place in a conference room with 30-foot-high ceilings, it's because the interview took place in a conference room with 30-foot-high ceilings. But fear not, Blockheads. This is another great episode. I'm happy to bring it to you, but I'm even happier that you brought yourself to it. Thanks for tuning in. This is Writer's Block. I'm J.R. Havlin. Open your ear holes, people. It's time to hear how the sausage gets made. Uh, that that I screwed that I screwed that we've been talking for was, 40 minutes and then I realized oh the mic isn't plugged in if you do I'll tell them it was all your fault oh you don't have to we're, we're now you don't you don't have to tell them Gene and I'll tell you why because we're we're on air again oh we are oh, and the good. mic is plugged in okay and good. they the first thing they hear is me admitting that we just talked for 40 minutes and I hadn't plugged in the mic <laughs> and I was brilliant right? and and Gene was amazing. <laughs> And if for whatever reason you end up not listening to this whole thing, the only person to blame is J.R. Havlin. Because the stuff that you missed, we're going to do our best to duplicate it right now. As they say, take it from the top. Take it from the top one more time. you got to get used to it. You can't, you can't see as a writer, you can't, you can't glom on to stuff that you've done. you got to be able to let it go. That's right. Right? This is, a, this is an excellent lesson in that, and I'm glad that we're learning together. You do Gene. have to learn to adjust in this business. But... Well, here's the beauty of it, though. I get to say hello to Gene Parrott. <laughs> there you go. Right out of the there gate, Gene Parrott is with us, the author of The Ten Commandments of Comedy, Gene is a longtime veteran of comedy writing and uh, has uh, um, seemingly seen and done not at all, but a good chunk of it. 
Am I wrong about that? No, it's been fun. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've done a lot. Yeah. The and by the way, we're also here with Linda Parrott, uh, um, Jean's uh, Jean's daughter. Say hi, Linda. Hi. There you go. So the the laughter in the back is not laugh track. It's Linda. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, classic Linda, television comedies. This is Jean's. Uh, this is a small part of Jean's resume. Laugh in the Carol Burnett show. Uh, wrote episodes of All in the Family, What's Happening, Love American Style, was the head writer and a producer for Welcome Back, Cotter, and Three's Company. These are all amazing shows that I watched all of them coming up. And um, was also the, uh, started out as a joke writer for, for uh, comics, such as uh, Phyllis Diller, Slappy White. Right, Slappy White, Phyllis Diller, a couple other acts. Um, and you were, um, uh, you were Bob Hope's, head writer for the last 12 years of his life? Is that uh, Yeah, I started with Hope in... Because uh, he worked pretty much until he was he, until he died. Yeah, but I, I did uh, work with him since 1969, and I was working on other shows at the same time, and then eventually I went with him full-time, and that's what I did, and became his head writer. So uh, you were talking about that Bob Hope had, you know, staff of 10 or 12 people, but you were sort of the right-hand man. He would get a hold of you to say, I want you guys to work on this, and you would potentially give those things to yeah. him. Yeah, Bob Hope was always the head writer. He was always in charge. And it, it's good he was, because, um, you know, one thing about comics, you write the material for them, and as a writer, it's always my philosophy that you um, write more than they need. If they need five jokes, you write 15 or 20. But they're the ones that know which jokes work for them. So they really edit your writing, which takes a lot of pressure off you in writing jokes. Now, on the Carol Burnett show, if you write a sketch, it has to be the way the sketch is going to be done. You'll rewrite it, of course. But you can't say, well, here's a whole bunch of ideas. Pick the ones you like. Right. But with a monologue, right. you can do that. Yeah. Here's, here's 20 jokes. If you get five, good. We'll go with those. Right, but if you hand in 20 jokes and he gets, if, if Bob Hope, if you're working for Bob Hope and he gets accustomed to seeing Gene Perrette's packet of 40 jokes and only picking one of them, then Gene Parrott is not going to be there for very long. Yes, you've got to have a percentage. Yeah. Right, right. It's like baseball. You've got to have a batting average, but... But you can, uh, you can strike out once in a while. Well, now, did, was, there, was there a lot of rewriting by Bob Hope? No. Would he take jokes of yours and say, I'm going to do, well, you know, what, tweak it himself or ask you to tweak it? Um, once in a while, he'd say, run it through the typewriter again. But once, I love that. It's, it's funny the, when the you... The Underwood. Yeah, Underwood. Right. The typewriter. Yeah. You remember those? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I've seen... I've we, seen... We always had typewriters. We never had computers at, in the office. But we had the electric typewriters. And we went to a couple of the writers. Ooh, electric. Electric typewriter. <laughs> well. And you could, if you hit a certain button, it would correct it if you made a mistake. Yeah, I remember We that. went to two yeah. writers' offices, and uh, one guy walked in. He said, what is this? He said, it's a typewriter. He said, but how do, where do you plug it in? He said, you don't plug it in. It doesn't have to be plugged in. It's a manual typewriter. The guy said, what won't they think of next? <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> but he'd say run it through the typewriter again. But it's interesting. I like that. I'm when gonna start using that. Yeah. I'm gonna to try to get that. I'm gonna to try to get that set at work. Like instead of rewrite, it's like run it through the typewriter. Through the, let's go yeah, through right. with this. <laughs> but it's funny with the uh, good strong comics. When you type jokes, gags, you hear them being said. You hear Bob say it. You hear Phyllis Diller say it. You hear whoever you're writing for say it. 
With Bob Hope, it all, when he did it, it always sounded exactly as it came out of the typewriter. And I think the reason is uh, his character persona was so well known that we wrote to it. So we knew who we were writing yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, at that stage, it had to be a little easier to write uh, yeah. um, for, for such a strong persona because you can write something and just know right away that it's going to work or not. And, and so you throw away. So you, that your hit ratio gets higher at that point, too. That's right. You yeah. know it in your own head, yeah. especially if you're working with him yeah. for so long, so closely. But he, he very rarely edited a joke. In fact, I was astounded one time... And I can't tell you the joke, but you'll get the idea, I suppose. He did a joke, and uh, it got a big laugh. And he came to me, he said, what happened? Why is that getting a big laugh? <laughs> and I explained it to him. And he said, oh, now I see. But he had enough confidence in us, I guess, to say, I'll do this joke, even though he, oh, he really didn't, even didn't know understand it. Uh, right. Why can't you tell me the joke? Because I can't remember it. Oh. I don't know which one it was. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was it. You oh, thought, no, well, it's a little no, blue. No, no, no. <laughs> no, but I just can't remember which one it was, but it was something that might have had a reference or so, a name But that's so interesting that, so that he, he comes to you and admits only after the fact that he didn't even know why this joke was funny. He just trusted you guys he to trusted, give him this He joke. trusted whoever wrote the joke. I don't even know if I wrote it. Right. But it wow. would work the other way, too, because uh, we had everything on cue cards. Uh, because he did so much, and you could for the USO him. stuff, even the USO, and even our regular show, all his monologues were on cue cards. But we did a show in Hawaii, and we had the cue cards out on the beach. And um, every once in a while, you know, you underline. Here's the word you hit. So the cue card guy underlined a word, and Hope got angry. He said, "Who put that underline in there?" And the guy said, well, I did because I thought you'd want to emphasize. He said, I know, I know where jokes yeah. are. I know how to emphasize a joke. Yeah. He made him rewrite the cue card. Yeah. Because it was an affront to his knowledge of comedy. Well, and, you know, and that, that makes sense. I mean, the, we, um, at The Daily Show, the typewriter that we use <laughs> um, is, uh, uh, is, is potentially fancier than, the, than those other ones. Um, but uh, the, the, the program that we use... It comes out in prompter in all caps. Oh, okay. So it's always all caps. So there's no way to like hit a word by making it all caps. Exactly. So, so we'll put quotes around it. So that's become sort of accepted thing. So you don't you don't pronounce you don't you don't read it as if it has quotes. Right. You read it as if it has quotes. You know. Right. That, that's that right. Like, so, um, but but we also used to put in more kind of direction sometimes, sadly, or whatever. And, um, and it came down the grapevine pretty quickly. <laughs> Stop doing that. Yes. Yeah. First of all, you're assuming that John won't be able to determine that this is the way that this joke is supposed to be done. And you're, deter and you're also assuming that you're right and how he might want to do it instead would be wrong. So... It's it's a it's a lose lose <laughs> exactly. in your case, and <laughs> exactly. uh, if you want to keep your desk, you you're gonna just stop putting stop directing, exactly. putting in direction for John. Well, directors hate it, and uh, yeah. performers hate it when you tell them how yeah. to do a reading. But and some but sometimes we still do it, um, because but usually it's with sort of common threads stuff where like um, if if we want John to say something like this, we'll put sing song. Okay, yeah. Because otherwise okay. you put a bunch of eyes, but but then you know, but just but yeah. but that that helps 
that helps, you know, a limited amount of direction helps you read a script a certain way, the first pass, which, you know, which gives you a better chance of working the way that you intend for it to work. Yes, right, um, right. Because if you miss that, that delivery, it's like, what the hell was that? Oh, it's supposed to be like this. Oh, I get it, but I don't like it now because I didn't like it the first time. <laughs> You know, I'm not saying that's always how it works, but it does sometimes. It already that's already a turd to me. Yeah, right. That's, that's <laughs> what anything to do with it? We've already turned that one down. Yeah, I stepped in I that. I found too, and um, uh, directions are a, a problem for that reason because there's so many egos involved. Actors don't like them. Directors yeah, don't like them. Sure. But we were at a meeting one time, or a reading, or I think it was on the floor. So they were rehearsing. Who was they? Uh, was probably the Carol Burnett show, okay. but I'm not positive. But it happened many times. You put in a stage directions, and they're there, but limited. You know, you keep it minimal. Right. Um, so we're doing one show, and someone's saying, "Boy, I don't know. It needs something." And some are talking about. It. Someone says, "Why don't we get? Why don't we cross over and open a window?" Wonderful. That's the greatest idea we heard. Terrific. Put that in immediately. And I look at the script, and it says, right in there before this meeting went on. He crosses over and opens a window. Nobody bothers to read the stage yeah. directions. <laughs> right, right, yeah. They didn't even look so, at that. So it sounded like a brilliant idea. It was in the sketch all the time, but yeah. no, one, no one even read the stage directions. It's funny, because talking to lines, some of the actors would go through, and of course they circle them so they know when they're speaking, but they also count them. But on uh, Laugh-In, most of the scripts... Uh, on a show would be about maybe three quarters of an inch high, um, a sitcom or so, maybe half an inch. Um, but laughing was like this. It was like a Bible because we put a separate joke on each page. Oh, okay, you right. Know, we'd, yeah. we'd shoot them separately. Because all those gags. Well, tell, tell so me. So you'd have so many uh, lines, but we'd get the script, the writers, and we'd all go through and count how many jokes we got into the show. Yeah. So we had the same ego as the yeah. actors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, there's always that. You want to know that you're that that you're getting your input, and, and you may get picked up when your contract comes up. Yeah, um, you were talking about laughing earlier about uh, um, about how different a show that was to write for uh, because it was so rapidly paced and it was really just sort of like joke after joke after joke, and, and the longest sketch would be like three pages long or something. Right. It was everything was fast. By the time people realize it's a bad joke. They've already laughed at it and moved on. Yeah, right. So they don't have time to analyze. They yeah. just have time to Was that the purpose of it? Do you I remember? think so, yeah. It was just quick. Just keep moving. Just the, the and, hit, uh, the just hit, just keep. Hit them and, rat -a -tat -tat. and move on. Exactly. Almost like a Henny Youngman monologue. Gun them know, down. Bam, bam, bam. And uh, You're going to miss with a lot of them, but you just spray in, just exactly. spray in jokes everywhere. Just, so enough of them are going to hit. Exactly, right. And they would come fast. Um, you mentioned sketches, and I said a sketch on uh, Laugh-In was like three pages. Yeah. A sketch on Burnett would be 12, you know, maybe four, five, six minutes, but Laugh-In, it would be over. In a, and then in between that, people poking their head out and telling a joke. and A joke, and we had... Uh, or Artie Johnson, like you said, riding out on a tricycle in a raincoat, very key to the gag. Right. Did, did you guys do that without a raincoat, and then said, somebody put a raincoat on him? It was there before I got there, I think. But I, I, I he would just you know, ride out and fall over, and that was it. Some of the things that happened on that show, you never knew. Like, why did they throw water at somebody from above? Like everybody except Richard Nixon. So, yeah, sock it to me, and they get it with yeah. water. And, 
Um, well, this is just fast, just quick. The, 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 uh, the Odie Johnson thing uh, um, reminds me of something we were talking about, which was uh, um, the physical comedy and how, like, uh, I had told you that when somebody asked me what I was influenced by, I kind of joking, like, jokingly said America's Funniest Home Videos mm -hmm. um, because it's just so much physical comedy. But, the, but in truth, that joke came from uh, the, stuff that, the stuff that I watched when I was a kid was the Marx Brothers were my favorite people in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a little kid, when I was, I think, less under 10, I don't think I was 10, um, it was my idea to go out to, on Halloween as Harpo Marx, an eight-year-old kid. <laughs> Wants to go out as Harpo Marx. I had curly hair, and it was kind of blondish, but I had my mom powder it, right? So she powdered my hair, and this big curly hair, and I got a little trench coat. And, um, and I put a, a bike horn underneath it. And when we would go up to the door, um, you know, everybody else dressed like a ghost or a vampire or something. And I'm just in a trench coat with blonde hair. And, and, and everybody would say trick or treat. And I would just, hi, hi. So I just was determined all night to never talk until I got out to the street with my buddies. Oh, that's hilarious. And the people in the houses loved it. And I just cleaned up. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's yeah. something. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I think back on that. And how did something like that, not geared for children, influenced me so much, it's because they were so physical. There was much more going on there, but there was, and particularly Harpo, obviously, was nothing but physical. You watch his stuff now. Right. I, I can't imagine that you don't have an appreciation for the Marx Brothers. Oh, yeah. Um, that's some, if you go back to some of the silent movies, you see the same uh, formula, the same style. Like it's a setup and then a, and then a uh, payoff. And some of the silent comedians did the same thing. And one I can remember was, uh, and it cracked me up, was um, Buster Keaton. Okay, sure. And I saw one where he's rowing a canoe along a river. And he's going along. And then when he gets to the shore, he walks up and his legs are through the bottom of the canoe. And he just carries he's the canoe. He's just walking and he's got the canoe. Great gag, but it's pretty much a setup. And then the punchline is when you see his legs through there. Yeah. So um, some of those things were, were brilliantly constructed and very funny. No words, but the, uh, the construction of the joke was the same. Right. And that's, that, that's like a sophisticated, you know, that, that's kind of sophisticated rather than one thing we were talking about earlier was the idea of like how no matter how old you are, it's funny to see somebody get hit in the head with a frying pan. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I used to watch the Three Stooges all the time too, and then of course you've got, and then and then the Road Runner and, and Bugs Bunny and all exactly. of that stuff. And right. I mean, that is all like the, there's a lot of other comedy in there, but a lot of it is is physical, it's and it makes you laugh. Yeah. I noticed that with my kid. You know, he's two and a half. He's three now. I remember when he was like just two, two and a half, and started understanding kind of what he was looking at a little bit. And we would watch movies, and he would laugh at certain places. And I was like, and it was always, it was somebody getting hit in the head with something. And, and I was talking to you about how I bet that in, when cavemen were around, one of them got hit in the, in the privates with a rock and the other ones all laughed. And that was the beginning of comedy. Exactly. That was like, they, they, they think it was a big thing to discover fire. They, they had no idea what they were onto right there. But the big thing for us is once the guy got hit with a rock and got laughs, he said, Get me some writers to do more yeah, of that stuff. Yeah, I need more of this stuff. <laughs> These guys love me now. So that we, guy over there was going to eat me until now, but I think he's not going to anymore. So we made a living. Yeah. 
He was going to club me over the head. I think he's stopped thinking that now. He wants me to make him laugh again. He likes this new feeling of, that he's discovered. The other part of that, though, is the poor, poor uh, writers. They, they, they got hit in the privates with a rock. Um, How do you top that? Hey, guys, go find out other places where he can get hit with a rock. <laughs> See, it's over. <laughs> Somebody sneak up behind him and kick him in the ass. See if it works. <laughs> we did a joke on Laugh-In. It was a, a beautiful joke. It worked beautifully. But it was a wall, polka dot wall. And again, a brief sketch. The husband and the wife have words. The husband leaves, slams the door. All the polka dots fell off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great sight. <laughs> For but, no reason, that's funny. Why, why, it, that it, was the gag. That was the gag. <laughs> but it cost a fortune to build it. because they To make all, it work. They were all little pieces of metal or something. They had things coming through the back. So the guys in the back had to pull these things. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it cost a fortune. So the uh, executive producer said... Do some more jokes with that wallpaper stuff. <laughs> no, you don't want us to. What, what do you do? What do you, half of them fall off? Yeah. So you, sometimes you get stuck with a joke and that's it. <laughs> you that's show it. him how much it costs. He's like, do fewer jokes with that wallpaper stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> how quickly something becomes unfunny to a producer. Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, your work with uh, on Welcome Back, Cotter and Three's Company, because these were definitely shows that influenced me in a different way than the other ones. In other words, these are shows that I was watching when I probably had a better idea in my head that maybe this was something I wanted to do. Hmm. And I think it was really like Three's Company again, like hugely physical stuff. I mean, with, with Jack Ritter was uh, or John John wait. I'm getting confused now. John Ritter. John Ritter. But Welcome Back, Cotter, I really, it was the first one where I really liked what was going on. I really liked the stories, and I really, I was really invested in those characters more than any other show before that. Um, you know, I just thought the, the characters were so distinct, mm-hmm. and they were so, they were really well done. The, the guys, the, the actors were great. But they were also like, it just worked really well. Did you have that feeling? I mean, were you a fan of the show before you started writing on it? Um, you no, know, no, I don't think I was. Um, <laughs> were I you unfamiliar with it or did you know it and didn't like it? Well, uh, no, I didn't have anything against that. I thought it was a good show. But that was probably the first show that we did as a sitcom. See, I was always in Variety, which I loved. Right, um, yeah, you did a lot of that. But... Variety was dying. When I went out there, there were like 19 shows on the air. Uh-huh. Uh, when we decided to switch over, there were like two shows. There was Carol Burnett, and she retired it, and then there was Sunny and Cher, and I think and that Saturday was Saturday Night Live started though. Saturday Night Live, yeah, but that wasn't you know prime time. That that right. That was it was the, not the for prime time. Thing. That's right. Quite exactly. quite specifically not for prime. Exactly. Time. So um, we went on to Welcome Back, Cotter, and. We just tried to bring things to it. But the reason those characters were so well-known, I guess, was because it came, came from uh, Gabe Kaplan's act. He had yeah, developed right. them as, in his stand-up. Oh, and, he had uh, developed those characters? I yeah, didn't the know characters. That. Oh. Yeah, he, he was, would talk about the, um, the kids. What were they Because was, was, was he a school teacher before he became a comic or something? Or was this uh, kind of no, his? I don't think so. Okay. But I think he talked about his friends. And, oh, and, and those were all his friends. And his them, you know, like these Cosby had Fat Albert. Yeah, sure, like yeah. Well, uh, Kaplan had all these characters that uh, Horseshack and yeah. 
uh, Washington were, and Epstein yeah, and, and right. Vinnie Barbarino. Right. And they were all distinct. So he had built the characters into that. God, and then we, know that. we cast for them. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, but uh, uh, Jimmy Comack did. And uh, so when they came on, they were strong because they had all this comedy behind them. That's super interesting. I, I, would, I would love to see the tape of... Gabe Kaplan doing stand-up and doing these characters before the show was... Yeah, well, I, I don't know if he did the characters. He probably just talked about them. Oh, okay. You know, I had... Uh, I mean, as, as, as an example, I had a friend named Epstein. He, he would bring... He would come to school and... Oh, right, yeah, right. He might not do... Yeah, yeah. Epstein's mother or something. Epstein's mother, right? <laughs> what a great so guy. He talked about... He would always... That's right. So his regular thing, he'd come in with <laughs> after being out sick and his note always said Epstein's mother, signed Epstein's mother. Yes, right. We did a thing, uh, this is why I probably got in trouble with the guys, but as I mentioned, um, Travolta was a big star by the time I got on the show, Yeah, and he wasn't going to do the show. We got him to do like six or eight, he said he would do them. So um, when he finally came on, there were young girls all over the studio, yeah. they were trying to get in to see the show and all that. And so It was uh, not a live audience thing, or was it? Oh yeah, it was. Oh, was it? Yeah, and uh, they were all trying to get tickets, and, and uh, so we had to treat him differently. So after the show, <laughs> one of the actors came in and he said, "You know, um, our contract says that we all get treated the same. We all get the same money. We all get the same so and so." Oh wow! And he said, "Well, you know, John, he, he's got a bigger dressing room than I have." And yeah. He said, "Well, John." He needed that for the people that came from the movie studios. They're working on right. the movie, yeah. so so we gave them extra space. It's not for John; it's for them. And uh, but Ron Palillo wants a bigger office now. <laughs> Bobby Epstein um, uh, came to me and he said, "You know, John has extra security." And I said, "Bob, I'll walk you home tonight." <laughs> it's all you need. I'm it's sorry to tell it you, it didn't go over very good. No. <laughs> Gene has a new book uh, called The Ten Commandments of Comedy. It is uh, kind of focused for on stand-ups, really. I, I mean, it, it's it's about writing comedy, but it seems like most of the advice is to it, to doing it on stage. It, it, like, I was surprised. I didn't know that was the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, part of it, as I said, uh, is in order to write for stand-up comics, you have to kind of know what they're going through. Many of us... Did you do stand-up yourself? Not really. I tried. I never had the personality or the, the, the charisma to do that. I'd do some banquet speaking, which is easier. Uh-huh, right. They're not expecting as much. Right. And, and they're all facing you, and they're not there with dates. They're there right. with their boss or something. So it's a little bit easier. But um, you've got to know what they're going through, and you've got to write to them. So when you write material, it has to be right for a stand-up act. But, yeah, a lot of this is stand-up... Uh, like um, one one thing in here, I forget which number it is now. Moses never forgot which number of commandments he had. No, no. But one is that you you got to be understood. Uh, you can't laugh at a joke if you don't hear it. Oh, is this so, the one where you did the French joke and the German yeah, joke? Yeah, right. But I've seen uh, many comics go out and they're so thrilled with the punchline. Now they go fast, they go, and they talk so fast you can't hear them. Mm -hmm. or, they, uh, or they use words that 
not everybody in the audience understands. So in order, that's one of the points, is in order to get a joke across, the people that are listening to it have to know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when I started reading the, um, the when I started reading the book, like I said, I didn't know it was about stand-up, and the stuff that I was reading was stuff that I know. Mm-hmm. At this point, I know it. And um, it was still acted as a kind of a nice refresher, and I was actually doing some writing on the airplane on the way out here, and... Uh, uh, not on the outside of it. Yeah, right. I didn't. I wasn't defacing the airplane. I was riding. Right. There you go. There's some nice comedy right there. See how that works. I, 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 I caught you off guard. I made led you to believe a certain thing was happening, and then hit you over here you with the with the thing that could also be possibly happening based on the wording of what I was saying. Basic comedy. classic comedy. <laughs> and um, so I was doing some writing on there, and I I, I realized uh, um, that I made a change in one of my bits. Not because I was trying to do it based on what I read in the book earlier, mm-hmm. but I realized that I was doing something that you had written in the book earlier. Yeah. And so, so I, I learned this stuff by years of trial and error. Um, and I think had I read this book as a, as a, as a starting comedian at the, be, at the beginning, it would have helped me immensely to kind of get past that stuff um, a, a little quicker. What seems kind of rudimentary to somebody who's been around for a while is really not in new comics. And when you go watch them, you see every one of these are very common mistakes with new comics. Yeah, and and it serves a purpose. Uh, If you're beginning, it's good to know these and use them. If you've been doing it for a while, it's a refresher course. You you watch people on television playing golf, and as soon as they finish, they just shot a 68 or something. As soon as they finish, they go to the practice and start polishing something that they may have forgotten during the round. Um, but it's also good if you got things that, that don't work to say, um, why doesn't it work? Maybe if I check these Ten Commandments, I'll find out why this one isn't exactly delivering the punch I want. And you alter it. You change it. You rewrite right. it. Yeah. You run it through the typewriter. You run it through the typewriter. <laughs> yeah. Did we already say that or was that on the last episode? <laughs> we got, let's, let, let's explain that just in the event that was in, that, that was in our original episode and not episode two, Gene Parrott. <laughs> Gene had been talking about, I believe that was in the episode one, Linda. I think it was. I think it was. Gene was talking about writing for Bob Hope, I think, and he would say rewrite it. Um, as, as far as changing a joke, run it through the typewriter. Run it through the I'm typewriter. I'm thinking now maybe that was this episode. Here's the problem. <laughs> maybe you guys already know that if you did find you hear it again. Or I can edit this out, but we're having fun, so you, who cares? You reminded me of one of my... my Deals with Bob Hope. We're going to go somewhere. I forget where. To, um, Sweden, it was. And the cast was there. We were at Burbank. But we were going to do a table reading before we all got on the plane and left for Sweden. And we're reading the script. And I'm sitting next to Hope, and I got my script open. And we kidded a lot. So it, it, this is not a real fight, but you'll understand it. And we came to one line, and Hope said, I think we need a better line there. So I ad-libbed the line. He said, no, no, no. So I added another one. He said, no, no, no. So I did like three of them, maybe four. And they were all like a little bit obscure references. And he said, Gene, when we do a joke on my show, I like that people know what the hell we're talking about. (laughs) So I took my script, threw it on the floor, threw my pencil across the room, stood up and said, Bob, now you're getting into more expensive comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you react? 
Oh, he he went. He he, you could do jokes with him. Oh, that's nice. Very well. Yeah, he he put up with the writers. Yeah, that's yeah. It's nice to be able to have that. Um, yes, it is. It is. On to on uh, the book. The, here, I'm going to just rattle off. You 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 gotta you gotta get it and read through it. It's a it's a it's a nice, quick, helpful, concise read. Concise, yeah. And uh, um, it's a nice little kind of uh, bible to have around if you're a writer, if you're a stand-up. Uh, I think in particular it could help you as a as a beginning stand-up. But the uh, um, the commandments are. Uh, you know, let's uh, we we can go through them one at a time here. Thou shalt not, thou, thou shalt surprise, which I did with the uh, airplane joke. Exactly right. That's the surprise. You thought I was going one place. You you, you go to one another. Direction, go another. One of the things that you uh, that you talk about in the book is allowing the audience to figure out the joke for themselves. Is is, is as a uh, I can't remember which chapter that's in, but your example I thought was one of the funnier jokes. In the book, and there's a lot of funny jokes in the book, which is fun. So it makes it a fun read to read some of these. Like some of them are the old classics. You got some, you know, Stephen yeah, Wright stuff yeah, in there and yeah. stuff. But it's a lot of good jokes. And and um, this one was, uh, um, I have a great diet. You're allowed to eat all you want, but you have to eat it with naked fat people. <laughs> That's fairly direct. It's obvious what the joke is, but does mm-hmm. people still have to like picture it? process that and that's why it's funny to them so they do have to kind of you're giving them a little bit of a benefit you're like you're saying you know um you're saying to them i'm going to throw this out here and let you figure out a little bit of it um another one of my favorite jokes is from slappy white who you who you wrote for was the first guy that paid you to write a joke exactly do you remember the joke the first joke you got paid for not the particular joke um, I'm, I probably had to do because Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton were acting up around that time. It was the time of Cleopatra, so it might have had something. We're acting. To do when with weren't that. they acting yeah, up? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, Slappy, of course, was Slappy was a black comic, and he did one line at which I probably gave him was uh, Lawrence of Arabia was big then too. Yeah, and he said I didn't go see Lawrence of Arabia. He said I can't stand. I oh. Yeah, he said, I don't like to see that many people running around in white sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Um, this is one that, uh, um, that he did after Sonny Liston knocked out Floyd Patterson. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know how many listeners I'm losing right now. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's where you gotta be, you got to be current. Yes. Yeah, but stick with me. This is a funny joke. And, and, and this is the thing. You can replace other people with that. Sonny Liston had knocked out Floyd Patterson. These are boxers, heavyweight. Yes, right. <laughs> These are heavyweight boxers and some of the best heavyweight boxers ever in the history of boxing. That's right. Um, for the heavyweight title. And so uh, Slappy White, uh, but, it, but it happened like in the first round, like literally like two, oh, yeah. two, two yeah. minutes into the first round, yeah. if that. So soon after that, Slappy White does a joke saying, I had a party the other night. I was going to invite Floyd Patterson and Sonny Liston, but the last time they got together, they almost had a fight. <laughs> Which is such a, that's such a strong joke for that, you know, for just set up punchline right there on that thing. You could do it for almost every Mike Tyson fight that ever happened. Up Ex- until exactly. The, and it, it's like the one you use as an example. It sneaks in there. Yeah. You, know, you have to figure it out a little yes, bit. Yes, a little then. bit. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a clunk but over a the good, head thing. A good example, those. and you mentioned it too, is uh, uh, this thing happened, so I wrote some jokes for Slappy, and I went to see the show, and he had a whole routine. You know, uh, 
let's see, I had a hundred dollar seat in Patterson. He sat down before I did. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he went on and on and on. And I, I talked to him after. I says, "Where'd you get all that material?" Because they weren't. He did a couple of my jokes, but I didn't write that many. And he said, remember when uh, Jersey Joe Wolcott got knocked out in the first round? Yeah. So it was an old <laughs> man that fight from about 20 he years earlier, but he still had the material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so don't throw anything away. <laughs> the, uh, um, I had page 19 written down here for some reason. Oh, yeah, because I thought this was interesting. I want to read this paragraph before we go on, because I don't want to do too much... Uh, um, you know, give away. To, we, we could we could probably read the book in the next forty five. That's years. right. <laughs> yeah. This was uh, if you. This is on the thou shalt be current, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, this. right, right. And the paragraph is: if you include premises or references that are dependent on present day events, then those events must be current. If they're not, your material feels tired, worn. Your creativity is suspect. Now, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, um, because you're reaching back and trying to resurrect topics that are not no longer important. The line that I underlined was your creativity is suspect. And that's something that I think the, the befalls newer comedians because you're not good enough to yet to produce material quickly enough so that you, you, you have to, you know, and you're not getting enough practice where you're not having to do material that is basically old and you, ha- and you either don't do anything to kind of refresh it or you refresh it in too obvious a way yeah. so that your, your, your creativity is suspect. And when that's compromised, you've got a problem. Right, right. Uh, uh, where I noticed this when I did sitcoms, as a producer, your first day in uh, on the job, you get stacks and stacks of scripts, people submitting them to get meetings. So you read the script and you read it like two, three, four pages until you find some reason to get rid of it. So you can get ready, get to the other ones, uh-huh. and it's generally a flaw. And one of the flaws is if you're reading it and you come across an old joke. Now all of the jokes in there, as you say, are suspect. There's no credibility anymore. Right. I don't want to buy something from somebody that's going to be borrowing jokes from comedians or from other shows. So yeah, you do have to be careful of that. That uh, you don't want to. Destroy your credibility as a comic or a writer, right? And 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 you know that that goes beyond just the uh, uh, you know whether or not you're stealing a joke is almost it's a totally different category. But um, but just the idea and, and I and I get it. And I there were a couple of uh, young comics that I worked with uh, you know a few weeks ago that they run they run one of the little clubs in the city that I like to go to, and I'll go down there and they'll treat me like a king, which is nice because. Um, it makes you feel good, but sure. you're just really, I'm just there to do my job the same way everybody else is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, um, and I like these guys and I know where they're at and I was there and I, 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 the last time I was down there, I stuck around and I watched their acts and I took some notes and I talked to them both afterwards and they really appreciated it, I think. Mm-hmm. That's what they told me. They they yeah, right. probably <laughs> swore up and down at me after I left the room. Who's that fucking guy? I think he is. Right. <laughs> so, um, but uh, but but a lot of it was uh, was to me was was fairly rudimentary stuff. But they 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 weren't. They it's not that they didn't understand it, or maybe not even necessarily that they didn't know it, but they were not recognizing it. Well, we saw a comedian one night. I don't know who it was or where it was. But there was a, a something up for election in California, 
and he did a whole routine on what would happen if this, if this passed. Well, the election was held last Tuesday. <laughs> so he was talking he about... He didn't even some, realize it. Well, he, I don't know if he did or not, but he didn't want to lose the jokes. No, right. So, but it was gone. It, it's over. You know, it, 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 well, did he set it up at that point? Like, no, if this no. thing had passed, he was just doing it. No, he just did it as if, boy, we're, if they pass this, we're in trouble. And, yeah. And uh, I forget what it was about, but I, I forget a lot of things lately. <laughs> <laughs>
Is your joke concise? Does it supply enough information for the audience to appreciate the humor, but not so much information that it detracts from the impact of the comedy? In other words, keep your setups short. Six, does the presentation of your gag allow the audience to form a graphic image in their mind? And that's just a matter of like, uh, of, uh, you know, of good writing. That goes along with anything you're talking about, novels yeah. and stuff in yeah. there as well. And he's talking about any, any writing, um, any speech that, is, uh, that gets a reaction from people is because they can uh, visualize they can easily see. what it is. Yeah. And they all form their own image, so they're yeah. all different. Yeah, and sometimes you, the, the trick is that, um, you know, especially again for, the, for beginning comics, it's that like, you know what you're thinking so clearly that you don't realize that you're not really clearly stating it. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you have to be honest with yourself when you listen to you. So you tape yourself, listen to it, and be honest about whether or not somebody who's coming from scratch knows what you're talking about. Yeah, another example, which I use, I may have used it in the book, um, a few years ago, there was a book out called Final Exit, which was How to Commit Suicide. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Kathleen Madigan had yeah. a funny joke. She, was, she said, I was in line behind a guy that had that. And he was paying $22 for this book. And she said, I told him, hey, five bucks, I'll stab you in the head. Yeah. Well, that, you know, she could have said, I'll kill you for five bucks. But stabbing in the head is more graphic. You can yeah. almost see that. It's yeah. a little grim, but yeah. it, it's a funnier picture. Yeah, it's funnier than just saying that. Uh, seven is on you. Have you, the humorist, controlled the audience response? Have you told the audience when to laugh? Yeah, and that's just, I mean, that's, that's a totally different gauge of things. Like, uh, um, to, and that's, that's actually the one that I was thinking about when I was rewriting a bit, because I changed the end of it. I, cha I just, there was, the, it was phrased like, you know, um, A and B was the end of it, and I changed it to B and A. Yeah, because right, it was right. better that way. Okay, yeah, you know, and that's and that and I, I did that, and I thought like, oh man, I'm doing what Gene said, doing what Gene <laughs> said to do. Good. So glad I got this book. Eight. <laughs> uh, have you used strong, appropriate references in your joke? Are they references that effectively convey your meaning to the listeners? These, in hindsight, sound a little repetitive in, in certain places, but mm -hmm. they're not when you read through the book. Yeah, right. Um, so, right. The, but and, and a lot of it is related. Differences anyway. and most comedy. If you got a good joke, it it does a lot of things. So here's a, just a list. Maybe it doesn't do one of them, and if it did it, it might be a better joke. It's that kind of right. thing. Right, and it's not like every one of these applies to every joke, but, right, it, exactly. but certain jokes lend themselves to these particular things, and a lot of times maybe the problem with it might be one of these things. Like, exactly, yeah. right, right. Nine. Is your comedy consistent with the audience's frame of reference and point of view? Does it capitalize on them? You got um, yeah, and a lot of times that just has to do with, you know, you get a lot of different audiences. So sometimes you, so, so your, your challenge is to somehow make it clear who you are and what you're doing so that they kind of know you. Because right. after a while, yeah. you start drawing an audience and they know what to expect. I, I, True. I, you know, True. like if you go to see Lewis Black or something, you know, you know what, to you know what you're yeah. going there yeah. for. Yeah. Right. And if you went and saw somebody else do that out of the blue, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, let's get out of here. This guy's going to kill somebody. Yeah, right. But it's Lewis, <laughs> so it's hilarious. And exactly. he's funny. So, right. but, but you know what to expect. But, you know, sometimes that liberty is not there. And if you are a new comic and you're getting out there and you're running into that problem... Uh, don't don't take it too seriously. You still have to try to keep doing what you're doing. But find out if you can 
if you can make it better so you hit that audience, terrific. You've, you've made yeah. yourself a better comic. Well, one thing I definitely um, used to do a lot more than I do now is uh, um, I would watch at least a couple of acts before me on the show so that I could get a reference that I could use as my first opening mm -hmm. joke. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes something that happened in the audience, or if you're doing it, the great, the biggest example of this, if you can use it, as you say, you can't always. But Bob Hope in the USO tours, he knew every bass. I mean, that was my yeah, job right, as okay. the writer. Right. And you hit those guys, girls, right where they live. Yeah. You're how about those? Is, how about those pansies over at so and so bass or whatever? You're doing <laughs> that exactly. So they love it. So if you can do it, right, it makes your jokes yeah. funnier. Ten, have you tried to phrase your comedy concept in a unique, clever, entertaining way? Have you tried to word the gag in such a way as to maximize the audience response? And again, it has a little bit of a repetitive feeling, but in the book, it's, uh, it, it's cleared up. Yeah, yeah, that's what you want. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And boy, you know what? I got to tell you, Linda, what do you think? I, I think that take two was stronger, and I think that was better. I think we got to know each other in take one, and that was my plan the whole way. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah, that was yeah, just a right. warm up, and we got to we. You know what? We didn't bother talking about the crap we, that wasn't worth repeating. That's a beauty. We always found of it. when we did sit, not sitcoms, the variety shows, the sitcoms too. We had two shows. We would do a dress rehearsal, uh -huh. which was with a live audience. Right. It was taped. It was a full show, and then we'd do an evening show, which was the show. Right. But we would cut between them. Okay. Yeah. But we always found out that. Uh, two ways. If the rehearsal went bad, the dress went well. Yeah. If the rehearsal went beautifully, the dress would bomb. Yeah, yeah. So, just one way. You never know. Way. Same jokes. Yeah. Same jokes, same stuff, but... Different some, audience, different time changed. of day. Yeah, yeah. The tides came in. So, the moon is fuller. <laughs> exactly, right. You, you, you never know what affects people, you know? But we knew if we had a good show in the afternoon, you better save a lot of it, because tonight we're going to die. <laughs> Gene Perret is a uh, longtime comedy writer, a great guy, author of The Ten Commandments of Comedy. Uh, go pick it up. Look it up. That's P-E-R-R-E-T. Gene, it's a pleasure to uh, talk to you. Thank you for coming on the Writer's Block. Thank you. It was fun both times. <laughs> <laughs> that gag never gets old. No, it doesn't happen. Say goodnight, Gene. <laughs> goodnight, Gene. <laughs>